and the rest of us, the few rest of us, can open our Bibles to First um, Peter. Our text for this morning is First Peter 2, verses 1 through 3, as we pick back up on our series in First Peter titled Hope-Filled Christians in a Post-Christian World. It's been several weeks since we've been uh, in Peter. Um, I think the, actually the last uh, sermon we did on Peter, it was, I was actually doing it, and that was several weeks ago, right before Christmas. So uh, we get to, you all get to hear me again, and then next week you get to hear me because Mark is returning actually um, the day before, and so he's not going to be prepared to do a, a sermon, so I've, I've agreed to do that. Um, so I'll read the text and then pray for uh, the preaching of God's Word. Um, by the way, if you're, if you're taking notes... Um, our title for the sermon this morning is Commanded to Put Away Sin. Commanded to Put Away Sin. 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 1 through 3. God's Word says, So put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. Like newborn infants, long for the pure spiritual milk, that by it you may grow up into salvation, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. Let me pray. Father God, as we, as we dive into your text this morning, as we dive into your word, Lord, I would ask that you would help us to, um, to see clearly its meaning that you ha- would have for us, and that you would touch our hearts, you would change us, uh, Father, and that you would cause us to desire more of you and desire more of your word, Lord. We ask for these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So in chapter one, our new birth has granted us a new status. We are obedient sons and daughters, uh, not to be conformed. We saw that in verse 14. Uh, We are born again through the living and abiding word. We see that in verses 23 through 25. Uh, We have responded to his word uh, in obedience, verse 22. And so the fruit of the new birth is new life. A life of hope. We see that in verse 3. A life of holiness, verse 16. You shall be holy for I am holy. And a life of love that we see in verse 22. So therefore, or as the ESV says, uh, so put away. So put away. That's the, the first part of the first verse in chapter 2. The problem is, even though we are born anew into a new life, we tend to continue to sin. We tend to to keep doing the same old thing. That is, live like before we became Christians. Or perhaps we change it first and and then we revert back to our old self. We revert back to as if we were uh, still of the world. Peter recognizes this of, of his readers as well. That's why he continues with the command in verse 1 of chapter 2 with put away. Put away. 
My goal for this morning is to cover what it is we're commanded to put away, why we failed to put our sin away, and how we could learn to be successful at putting away sin. Then I'll wrap up with where our hope lies when we fail to put away sin. Which I hope will be an encouragement for us all as we uh, as we fight to kill sin in our daily lives because it, it is an ongoing fight. It's something that we do on a daily basis. That is battle to put away sin. Now, originally, I was going to do a treatment on all three verses. Uh, in fact, as late as Tuesday night when I met with, with Pastor Mark in our elders meeting, I was telling him about how I was going to I was going to do each each verse was going to was going to be a different subtopic, and I was going to talk about how we put away, and I was going to talk about uh, the spiritual milk, and I was going to talk about uh, tasting uh, the Lord and how that is good. Um, but as I was putting together the message by Wednesday, I was starting to sense that you know God was really keeping me focused on verse one: put away our sin. Um, now, all three verses could actually be a sermon. In e- I mean, each of the verses could be a sermon. And, and I may at some time come back to this text and, and do that. But this morning, I think we're going to focus primarily on verse 1. Uh, so I'll highlight my points as I come to them. Uh, so let's, let's begin with point number one then. Uh, put away. So put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. We are commanded to put away, to put away all these things, things which in some way or another uh, cause harm to people. This verse, verse 1, is linked to verse 22 of chapter 1. You remember 22 22 said, uh, having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart. Peter is talking about loving fellow believers, the brethren, brothers and sisters in Christ, and to love them earnestly from a pure heart. Uh, But in order to love from a pure heart, uh, we need to put away all malice, and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. That's why he follows up chapter 1, and in particular uh, verse 22, with, so put away. Love one another earnestly from a pure heart, since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and abiding word of God. Therefore... Or so put away. But why these things? Why are we called to put away these things? Why did he choose to call out these specific items of sin? He could have said, put away murder. Put away all adultery. Put away your idols or a host of other sins. But why these? Well, let's take a closer look. Malice. 
Malice is a general word for evil and is also associated with hostility and even an intention, an intention to do someone harm. The definition of malice is, is a desire to inflict injury, harm, or suffering on another, either because of a hostile impulse or out of a deep-seated meanness. Wow, a deep-seated meanness. When you say someone is full of evil, pure evil, uh, uh, pure hatred for his fellow man, you would probably use this word, malice, to describe them. Do you know what's astonishing about the fact that this word is in this list? Well, first of all, Peter is speaking to believers. That's right. He's speaking to believers, and he's using the word malice. He's saying, put away malice. Oh, I forgot. You guys don't have any malice. No. He knew his believers. He knew his readers. They were believers, and yet he puts the word malice, and he's telling them to put away malice. Put away your deep-seated meanness, he's saying to them. Peter knew his audience. Secondly, the fact that the word malice is referenced here is confirmation that God is able to save even the worst of sinners. The worst of sinners. He's able to change someone's heart, even someone who has Malice, deep-seated meanness in their heart. If someone tells you, oh, no, there's, there's no way God could ever forgive me. I'm too mean. I'm too bad. <laughs> Take them to 1 Peter chapter 2. You know what? The power of salvation through Jesus Christ, through his sacrifice and death on the cross, was powerful enough to save the worst of sinners. The worst of sinners. His sacrifice was more than enough. More than enough to turn God's deserved wrath into undeserved favor. That's awesome. That's power right there. Deceit and hypocrisy... Both are similar in that their intent is to deceive, to make someone believe one thing when another is true. Envy. Envy is rooted in covetousness, coveting that which someone else else has that you want. And generally, when we are envious of someone, we tend to hold an ill will towards them. In other words, we wish them harm because we believe they have an advantage over us, because they have something that we don't have. Now, don't be fooled. Uh, being, uh, having envy is not the same thing as, as having a, a competitive nature or having a, you know, a competitiveness about you. Um, you can have a competitive nature and be like, man, that guy is good at basketball. 
or whatever. You know, I, I wish I was that good. I need to practice more in order to be that good. See, that's, that's different than saying, man, that guy is really good at basketball. I wish somebody would break his legs. You know? A slander. Speaking evil of someone to bring them harm. That's what slander means. The dictionary says this, to make false and damaging statements about someone. And obviously that intent is to harm them by making false and damaging statements about someone. That's slander. So to answer the question, uh, why did Peter choose to call out these specific items of sin? Well, it's because all of these sins bring harm to relationships and destroy community. They bring harm to relationships and destroy community. The exact opposite of what he's calling for in verse 22, to have a brotherly love, a love for fellow believers, and, and to love one another earnestly with a pure heart. Uh, these sins, they do the opposite. They do harm to relationships and destroy community. And Peter, Peter is calling for us to put them away. To put them away so we can love one another earnestly from a pure heart. But this verse poses another question, one that Peter doesn't seem to address here, uh, but one that I believe is important to tackle. And so we're going to take a little uh, detour. Um, and that is, this, here's the question I, I want to I pose is that, uh, why do I have such a problem at putting away sins? That's my second, my second point this morning. Why do I fail to put away sin? Peter addresses sin that is specific to relationships and community, things that cause harm to relationships and destroy community. But if you're honest with yourself, I'm sure you would agree that failing to put away sin can apply to any and all sin. And if you're like me, all too often do I fail at putting away former passions, uh, sinful passions. Many times we don't recognize our own sin. We tend not to notice uh, that they're there. Sometimes it takes someone else to point out uh, my sin. Other times I may recognize it, I may recognize my sin, and I may put it off for a little while, but then I tend to bring it back or put it back on. Maybe I, I, I put it off, but I put it close by, you know. I don't really get rid of it. I don't really put it to death. I don't really turn from it. I just put it aside for a little while. So why is there this constant struggle to put away sin? Well, we fail in part because we go about fighting, uh, fighting sin in the wrong ways. Here are, here are two of the most common ways that we fight sin wrongly. The first is antinomianism. Uh, here is gotquestions.org's definition for this word. 
Uh, the word antinomianism comes from two Greek words, anti, meaning against, and nomos, meaning law. Antinomianism means against the law. Theologically, antinomianism, I don't know, I'm a hard time saying that word. Uh, antinomianism is the belief that there are no moral laws God expects Christians to obey. Here's that word again, antinomianism. <laughs> Takes a biblical teaching to an unbiblical conclusion. The biblical teaching is that Christians are not required to observe the Old Testament law as, me as a means of salvation. When Christ died on the cross, he fulfilled the Old Testament laws. And then they give uh, references, Romans 10, 4, Galatians 3, 23-25, and Ephesians 2, 15. The unbiblical conclusion is that there is no moral law God expects Christians to obey. In short, those who follow this line of thinking believe that God doesn't place demands on us to be obedient to the law because Christ has already paid for all our sins and therefore we're forgiven. So they remain complacent to sin and therefore don't work at putting away sin and thus become disobedient. But this isn't confined to 21st century thinking. Paul dealt with it in his time as well. Look at Romans 6, verses 1 and 2. It says, What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Paul says that, that if we've died to sin, which is what happens when we're saved through Jesus Christ, then, then we ought not to continue to live in it. And Peter says, since you've been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, therefore put away sin. Put away sin. It is a command that requires an action on your part, on my part. And because our heart naturally tends towards sin, it is an action that is required of us daily, hourly. And for some of us, sometimes by the minute. And it's not going to end. It's not going to end until he takes us home. Nevertheless, it is required of us to put away sin. Another common way we wrongly fight uh, sin is by taking our obedience to putting away sin very seriously and seek to put away sin and all evil in our, in our lives through our own strength, through our own strength in an effort to gain God's favor. This is called legalism. Simply put, we think that if we keep all of God's rules... If we do everything the right way, that he will grant us favor or perhaps even salvation. And what's the problem with this thinking? It's an impossible task. It's not going to happen. I think it would be easier to hold your breath until you passed out and died than it would be to go without sinning ever again. Think about that for a minute. Don't actually try it, because you'll just get a headache, I know. 
we are naturally incapable of not sinning. And that's the very reason that God sent a Savior. It's the very reason God sent his only son. It's the very reason God sent his only son who became man and sacrificed his, his perfect sinless life so that payment for our sins could be made and we could be made right with God. So two common ways that we fail at putting away sin in our life, antinomianism, uh, that is not really doing anything because we're relying solely on grace for our salvation, uh, but we become disobedient to God's command through Peter to put away sin, um, or legalism, thinking that we could win God's favor. We just followed all God's rules, um, followed them perfectly. But of course, we fail to do that even a little bit. So this begs the, the question then, how can I be successful at putting away sin? This is point number three. How can I be successful at putting away sin? Uh, there are things you can do practically uh, to help yourself be successful at putting away sin. Uh, I'm going to give you seven. There are, there are a host of others. This is not a complete list. Uh, but I want to give you, I'm going to highlight seven, seven ways that you could use to put away or be successful at putting away sin. Uh, first is, you must want to overcome sin. You must want to overcome sin. It's one thing to say you want to stop sinning, but unless you're ready to commit to putting away sin in a tangible way, uh, that you're, then you're not going to get very far. It's like wanting to go on a road trip. Uh, you can load the car up, you can get in, you can buckle up, but if you don't put the key in the ignition and start it and drive, you're not going to get anywhere. Overcoming sin, uh, putting, putting away as our text commands, requires a commitment and hard work. It requires a commitment and hard work. Now, there's a part you have to play, and it begins, it begins with your desire to want to put away sin. It begins with your desire to do the work. You must want to overcome sin. Number two, identify your sin. Identify your sin. You must also clearly identify sin in your life. Now, you may not be able to do uh, all of this in one sitting for some of us, <laughs> you know, uh, but you must remain vigilant uh, to look for sin in your life. This may require that you solicit help from friends and, and family. The people who know you best, who can help you to identify sin in your life. Uh, you'll have to be honest with yourself. You'll have to ask your friends and family to be honest with you. And that's, that'll be difficult because nobody really wants to hear about sin in their life. Nobody wants to hear that they're not perfect. Nobody wants to hear that they have flaws but we do, we all do. Romans 3.10 says, none is righteous. No, not one. Don't ever stop looking for sin in your life. There, there may be some undiscovered sin that doesn't show its ugly head for a long time, or perhaps there's a, a new area of sin that is only recently being recognized. 
constantly be looking for sin in your life. It may be necessary to write these down to keep track of them or share them with others to help hold you accountable. But don't be discouraged if your list gets long. Don't be discouraged if your list gets long. Remember, Jesus came to save sinners. Like Paul said of himself in 1 Timothy 1.15, he says, Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I'm the worst. In the ESV it says, of whom I am the foremost. Number three, recognize what causes your desire to sin. Recognize what causes your desire to sin. Oftentimes, we sin not because we want to be bad, but because we're trying to fill a need. We're trying to fill a need. Needs that are centered in uh, self-centeredness or selfishness and pride. Uh, centered in independence from God. Rather than seeking our need for God. Seeking our need for Jesus, our Savior. Seeking our need for the Holy Spirit. Needs that, that we can't recognize until we learn about God and learn about His Son and the Holy Spirit, which we do by getting into His Word, the Bible, which is point number four, getting, getting into God's Word. That's another way to help us be successful at putting away sin is getting into God's Word. God has set in Scripture... Everything he wants for us to know about him. Psalm 86, 11, Teach me your way, O Lord, that I may walk in your truth. Unite my heart to fear your name. When we are in God's word daily, we begin to clearly see what he wants for us and what he wants from us. Through his word, he shows us how to live, quite frankly. It's all in his word. Now, I want to take a, a side note here for just a sec. Because we get, usually at the beginning of the, of the year, we get into this mindset that we want to read through the Bible, all the way through the Bible. And, we, and we've got, I looked at the table, there's like at least five different Bible reading plans. And those are good for you to, 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 to go and, and, and help yourself read through the Bible throughout the, the whole year. But but I want you to think about reading the Bible more than just reading a few texts or a few, a few uh, sentences or a few verses at a time. Uh, most of you have read uh, books or novels like Harry Potter and Lord of the Rings. Here's an excerpt from um, The Hobbit. Listen to this. Bilbo awakens in total darkness. It's so dark he literally cannot tell the difference between having his eyes opened or closed. He gropes around on all fours and his hand accidentally brushes against a small ring of cold metal. He puts it in his pocket without thinking and continues on his way. Whew. Wouldn't it be odd if I picked up The Hobbit and read those few sentences and then put the book down? Nobody reads like that. <laughs> you wouldn't get the context of what was going on. Why was he on his floor? Why, why was he in the dark? Why was he crawling around? What was this ring that he put in his pocket? What, you know, you want to know the context. So you, you, nobody reads like that. Nobody reads like that. They read a whole chapter. Or they'll read the whole book in, a, in you know, one sitting. 
we should think about doing that with God's word as well. If we're memorizing a verse, okay, one or two, that's good. Uh, but if we're wanting to know about God, we should be reading lots of text and get the context of the text and what's going on. What are we reading? What, what, what's going on at this time when I'm reading God's word? That helps us. Um, Evan's, I was talking to Evan yesterday. He, he was telling me that about his grandfather who was a minister for some 40, 50, 60 years. Uh, and he read through the Bible every year. He would read through the whole Bible every year. And he was telling uh, Evan that he has read through Proverbs over 700 times. That's amazing. That's, that's wonderful because that's putting God's word in your, in your heart, in your mind so you can draw from it. 700 times over, what, 50, 60 years, that's about, that's once a month. That's not difficult. That, that challenges me to do that. I want to have God's word in my heart. So if you've never read the Bible all the way through, get one of these, these uh, tools to help you. But also think about reading more than just a few texts here and there. It's not exhausting to read God's word. It's life-giving. Okay. So let me go on. Number five, pray for God's help. When we read God's word, we learn about God. But to have a deeper relationship with the Father, we need to speak to Him and commune with Him um, through prayer. Prayer ex extends our relationship with Him because it's, it's intimate, it's life-giving, and it shows our dependence on Him when we pray. Number six, change habits that lead to sin. Change habits that lead to sin. For example, if you struggle with internet porn, then get off the internet. Get off the internet or use tools to help you block these sites. Surround yourself with friends and family that can hold you accountable, that can pray with you when you feel weak or vulnerable. Find ways to help you turn from sinning. Psalm 119.36 says, Incline my heart to your testimonies and not to selfish gain. Incline my heart to your testimonies, God's word and not to selfish gain. Number seven, rely on the Holy Spirit for change. Rely on the Holy Spirit for change. Jesus has sent us a helper, the Holy Spirit. Rely on the power of the Holy Spirit to help you change. 2 Timothy 1 verse 7 says, For God gave us a spirit, not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. Self-control. The Holy Spirit gives us power to change. The Holy Spirit gives us the power to have self-control. Self-control is the managing of one's desires. Uh, but it's not limited to, to bodily appetites and desires. Uh, but we must also control our thoughts and emotions and our speech. Self-control says yes to what we should do and no to what we shouldn't. So self-control works both sides of the fence. And with the help of the Holy Spirit, self-control can be a powerful tool in helping to manage our selfish desires and aid us in being obedient to the Lord. Jerry Bridges says this about self-control in his book, The Fruitful Life. He says, self-control is an essential character trait of the godly person. 
that enables obedience to the words of the Lord Jesus, if anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. That's in Luke 9.23. Okay, so these are just some of the things you can do to help yourself be successful in putting away sin. Uh, but these require that you commit to change. That you commit to the work of putting away sin uh, daily. Jesus tells us how and what we are to do in, verse, in, in this Luke 9, 23. He says, he must deny himself. You must deny yourself, that is, put away sin, right? Take up his cross daily, that is, put in the commitment and work to put away sin daily. And follow me. Seek to follow Jesus in all that we do. But making a commitment and doing the hard work doesn't always guarantee success. It doesn't always guarantee success. So what do you do when you fail? Where does my hope lie when I fail at putting away sin? This is point number four, my last point. Where does my hope lie when I fail at putting away sin? If you get discouraged or if you fall into condemnation when you sin, then more than likely your hope is set in your ability to put away sin. Your hope is set in your ability to put away sin. And that would be misplaced hope. You can see your hope, you see your hope can't be placed in our ability to not sin because you're just setting yourself up for failure. If you have been saved by grace, if you believe that Jesus died on the cross to save you from your sins and you've accepted him as your savior, uh, then when you do sin, it should cause sorrow at first. It should cause sorrow uh, because your sin is against a holy God and that should grieve you. But if you're thinking correctly, that sorrow... That, that grief should turn into gratitude. Gratitude and rejoicing. Not as in, ha-ha, I pulled one over on God. No, no. Uh, gratitude um, because you are aware or you remember that you've already been forgiven. That you've already been forgiven of all your sins past, present, and future sin because of what Christ did on the cross. And that would be well-placed hope because your hope is in Jesus. Your hope is in Jesus, not in yourself or your ability. Jeremiah 17, verses 5 and 7 say this, Cursed is the man who trusts in man and makes flesh his strength whose heart turns away from the Lord. Blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord, whose trust is the Lord. Yes, we've, we've been forgiven of our sins. We've, we've been washed clean, but we still sin. That's why Peter calls for us to put away sin. If through salvation we were no longer capable of sinning, 
then Peter wouldn't have the requirement or wouldn't see the need to call for us to put away sin. But that's not the case. Our sin was paid for in full, past, present, and future sin, by the work of Christ on the cross. All of our sin was imputed unto him, and his righteousness was imputed unto us. That's why at the moment of our salvation, God looks upon us and declares us righteous. He says, you are justified of having no sin because he sees in us as having no sin. But that's only because Jesus didn't just take on our past sins. He took on all our sin. He took on all our sin, even the sins we had yet to commit. He didn't say, okay, I'm going to pay for your past sins, but your future sins, they're on you. You're responsible for those. No, he said, you know what? I'm going to take on all your sin. Everything you did in the past and everything you'll do in the future, I'll take it all. And I'll pay the price for it all because my righteousness is sufficient. And I love you that much. And God agreed. His righteousness was sufficient. And he also loved us that much. So much so that he sent his only son to die for you and me. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life, John 3, 16. But that doesn't give us the license to sin. That does not give us the license to sin and be, dis be disobedient to God. We are called to put away sin, commanded to put away sin. He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. Love one another earnestly from a pure heart since you have been born again. So put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and, every, and envy and all slander. Like newborn infants, long for the pure spiritual milk that by it you may grow up into salvation if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. If indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good, then let your hope lie in the Lord and make all effort, make all effort to put away sin. If you have yet to know Jesus as your Savior, ask Him to take your sins so that the Heavenly Father can declare you righteous so that you can then taste the goodness of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, we thank you, Lord, for, for your son's work on the cross that allows us to then put our hope in him for putting away sin. Lord, we ask that you would give us the strength through the Holy Spirit, Father, the power that it has to help us to kill sin in our lives, to put away sin, to walk away from it, and to never pick it up again, Father that we can grow in this, that we can grow into salvation, that we can grow and know and taste the goodness of you, Father God. So we ask for your help. We ask for your, 
your guiding help. And we ask for the Holy Spirit, Lord, to come upon us and to fill us, to make us strong with your Spirit, Father. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.